GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Dogs have an amazing sense of smell, and now they're being used to detect disease. Gibraltarian researcher Dr Zoe Pa-Cortez has been at the International Working Dog Conference in Colorado. She joined us on the line from Bristol in England. And we find out about a new TV series showcasing Gibraltar's writers and poets, Between the Lines, premieres on GBC television tonight at nine. But first, we were joined in the studio by Alex Capurro, who's released a book on a nostalgic series of adventures and mishaps of a kid growing up in Gibraltar in the 80s. It's called The Commodore Sphere, A Journey Through Parallel Realities, and it sees loyal friends Alex, John and Michael go on a quest to travel through time. What a, what an uh, an exciting sort of theme to to write about. Um, uh, you, you like sci-fi? You you sort of you, yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a I'm a sci-fi geek, 100. <laughs> percent Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, about myself, okay. Well, um, obviously, I grew up in Gibraltar, um, and I've always been uh, extremely interested in technology and gadgets and computers in general uh, since probably since I was four years old and I saw my first uh, pong game. Uh, so yeah, very much into sci-fi and technology, um, both personally and in, in my career. Well, let's talk a little bit um, uh, about your career, if you want. Um, sure. you, you've uh, you, you built a, a pretty big fintech company in Gibraltar, uh, which has then been acquired by one of the the biggest payment companies in the world. Um, tell us that story, which is, I mean, I remember when it happened yeah. uh, and, you know, we said we'd, we'll, we'll catch up eventually, <laughs> but, but it was massive. No? Yes. Um, well, I, I mean, I've been starting up various businesses, fintech related, since 2007. Um, the last one I set up was Easy Payment Gateway and that was in 2014. Um, and basically I developed a software that allowed you to draw on the screen a, a flow diagram. And in real time, that diagram would become the logic or the code behind how to process a transaction um, and that was patented worldwide and during COVID actually I was approached by Global Payments which is a, one of the biggest this in the Fortune 500 companies and a long story short they set up a joint venture with Caixa Bank from in Barcelona which would be familiar with people who travel in Spain would have Absolutely, seen the, yeah. the sort of banks yeah I mean they're actually they, they process over a third uh, almost two thirds of the whole volume of Spain so jointly, they, they purchased the, the platform, the company that I set up. And, and since then, I've been working for them. I'm now the chief innovation officer for the company. And is it being used then more broadly? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, they use it now on a daily basis and they're processing in the region of six and a half billion euros a month through my software. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you, man. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, but you, you've stayed on, you're, you're still involved? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, myself and the whole team that I had, we all stayed on because, um, I mean, we, we, we just, we enjoy working with the, with the software and, and the company. They, they offer very good benefits and it's just a really nice uh, place to be. Um, and I can work from home as well, which is great. I was going to say, so yeah. uh, is there an office base in Gibraltar? Is everybody sort of no, uh, working from home nowadays? Yeah, we're working from home and I travel to Barcelona once or twice a month for like board meetings and whatnot, but it's predominantly from home. Okay, and, um, and and tell us a little bit about where we are with technology and and the finance and banking sector. 
Uh, well, there's there's a lot going on with artificial intelligence right now um, from a, an authentication point of view. So, not you know, biometrics, authentication, so you don't have to put your chip and pin. Uh, the, the latest technology I've seen uh, with a credit card machine in a shop is authenticating with the pattern of veins from your hand. Really? Yeah. So you basically... Is that unique to each person as well? Absolutely. It is. Yes, yes. And the technology is so good that within milliseconds, they can recognize the pattern of your hand and thus authenticate the, the transaction. So it's all about AI and pushing that. And is that because there's some kind of limits to the security of a fingerprint? Can a fingerprint be replicated? It, yes. Some, some, some systems have been hacked, if you like, whereas uh, it, the patterns of your vein are incredibly difficult to, to, you know, to, to mimic. And artificial intelligence, I mean, it's such a big talking point. Um, you know, the, the, the natural sort of concern for people is that it'll mean that jobs that were being carried out by people uh, can be automated and therefore those people won't be required anymore. As somebody who has led a team yeah. uh, successfully for, for a number of years, um, is that the way you see it? No, not at all. In fact, uh, where I am right now, we did uh, some research and we looked at all the different departments and what they do. And we, what I found was that there were about 10,000 hours a month that are uh, used up in, in mundane uh, tasks. So, for example, there are many departments that receive an email that has an Excel and they have to open that Excel, extract data, copy it to send another Excel or PowerPoint or whatever. These are tasks that we can automate with AI. Um, and it means that those 10,000 hours can be then reinvested on other more important tasks. And that's happening now, or are we on the cusp of it? It is happening right now as we speak. Mm. Um, I've got stuff at home working for me as we speak, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and uh, do you share any concerns about AI and, and you know, yeah. how to keep it safe? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I always say, I, I've given a few talks about AI, and what I always say is that we need to understand the risks and the limitations. And one of the most important things is that when you ask AI for help, uh, whether it's because you have a piece of text that you need to make more professional or you want to write an email or whatever it may be, even coding, you need to understand what it is you're asking it because the response it will give you might not be 100% correct. Uh, if you look at, for example, ChatGPT, which is the biggest, most popular one right now, yeah. uh, if you use the free version, it's limited to knowledge of up to 2021. So, for example, if I ask it to make uh, to write a program for me, it will do it, but it may use frameworks or libraries that are deprecated. And so if I don't know how to program, I think that what it gives me is correct, when in fact it's not the latest. Two years out of date. Yeah, exactly. Based on a, on the free yeah. software. No, I mean, it's still pretty amazing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It? Yeah. I mean, it gives you, it's great for as, a, as a template or as a base, you know, and then you have to build on top. But you need the knowledge is what you're yes, saying. Yes, you, know, you, you need you, to. You need somebody to. without the knowledge couldn't just rely on, or, or if they relied exclusively on AI, they'd be, find, they'd be found out as yeah, like, cheating. Yeah, I mean, you, can, you or, can use it, perhaps if you're doing a demo or proof of concept, that's fine, but if you want to take it to production, you really do need to understand what it is you're asking, because then, yeah, you will be caught out, basically. And where are we with sort of um, bringing it on board, and to what extent might there be, um, you know, might we get burnt as a society for, you know, sort of not understanding the ways yeah. in which we bring it on well enough, and therefore we bring it on, and and, and we, sh we we sort of it results in a in a net loss, perhaps or even if it's momentarily to to the customers, and then you realise, oh, there was you know I, I exposed myself to to a risk here. Yeah, well, that's already happened. You have companies like Microsoft and Samsung that have fully integrated ChatGPT into their 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 platform, their environment, and that has led to leaks of 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 internal private documentation and even code, which shouldn't have been leaked. 
So that's already giving you an example of how things can go wrong. So now a lot of these companies are working on legislations and rules and laws about restrictions, because at the end of the day, we need to restrict uh, you know, what, you, what you can ask it and what it can return as a response. Well, I'm sorry I'm focusing a lot on your <laughs> career because it's uh, it's very interesting and also because I think there's a lot of overlap with your yeah. with your writing no because mm-hmm. it's it's very much about technology and about imagining a future where technology does things which it doesn't at the moment and then trying to take the 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 viewer or, or the company yeah. there no Absolutely. I mean, the 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 book. Sorry, actually, the, the reader. But yeah, yeah the reader. Because I was thinking about your video as well, which we well, can yeah, talk but, about but, in a moment. Yes. But. I mean, the the book is actually the first in a series of three. So the first book, I tried to kind of set the scene, the premise, and introduce the characters and the technology. So the book is about the I call it the Komposphere, um, and I actually got the idea from uh, World War Two. The Nazis had something called the Dyke. I think I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. The Dyke Locker, which is also known as the Bell. The myth is around that, that they were using, or they were going to use it uh, as a time travel machine, okay? So um, I wanted to basically combine old technology from the 80s, hence why I use the Commodore 64 and yeah. the old Casio wristwatch uh, with that uh, advanced technology and kind of merge it all together and come up with a almost scientifically correct uh, method of traveling through time, basically. Well, that's a beautiful thing about um, sci- sci-fi, you know, that it can um, sort of have this overlap with, yeah. with science fact Absolutely. as well. And, yeah. um, okay, so but it is science fiction, and, yes. and talking about artificial intelligence, you created a visual teaser, a, a video, uh, where all the animations and images have been created by AI. Yeah, what I did, I mean, I, I'm a very visual person, so even when I'm coding something, I like to get a piece of paper and I break down the pro- the problem into, or whatever I'm doing into smaller chunks, and I, I like to draw flow diagrams and whatnot. So uh, when I was writing the story, I, w- I needed to see it. Uh, so I decided to use Midjourney, which is another bot like Leonardo, there's a few yep. of them, to create images based on what was in my head. Um, and then once I had the but, images... But, but you have to, again, you need to describe yeah, yeah, it very carefully yeah. in order to for, for mid-journey to be able to come up with something that looks good, For sure. Good, right? I mean, one of the things, if you see an image in my trailer, what you don't see is that there perhaps there were 20 other iterations before that one. So once I had the images, then I used another AI tool um, to add depth to those images and, and movement. And then I used another tool to create the music, and then I basically used uh, you know, Premiere Pro to just put it all together into, into a trailer. Um, but it's basically images that have been added depth. Um, the second trade I'm working on is 100% animated purely by AI. But there's no images, it's just pure animation. That's amazing. And yeah. and that's just you, descri- yeah. the, for somebody who hasn't tried to create anything on AI, you write down in words yes. what you're after. You write down in words. And once you have a, a, an image that you're happy with, you can then use that image as reference. Uh, or if you're creating animation, you can find online a clip or a movie or a scene that you like and then you can use that clip as kind of like a reference. And you can tell the AI, look, I want you to build this uh, animation based on that scene. So it will kind of replicate the, the characters and the scenery and everything. But you have to be very descriptive. And the uh, the ability to generate um, AI video, is that's not something which is particularly mainstream at the moment. No, this is sort of uh, cutting edge yes, video Yes, I mean, software. there are a few people who, who create the odd Instagram and TikTok short clips. Um, but it is actually being used in the movie industry. Uh, because, you know, originally people would act uh, in front of a green screen, whereas now uh, they can basically see themselves virtually in a virtual world that is rendered in real time. Mm-hmm. So that it helps the, the actor. The actual to, acting yeah, process. Yeah, exactly. They don't have to imagine the dinosaur. They can actually see it virtually, you know. So 
That's amazing. Uh, so, so I suppose what I'm saying is that Mid Journey, which you mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, can create uh, AI generated images. Yes. The AI generated video is not as readily available, or it is it's, literally also it's, a, it's, a, a software that you know I could download. Yes, yeah, the there's, there's a there's a tool called Kyber or Kyber. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Um, that will, tool will produce images for videos for you, but it's limited to three seconds. So you need to be uh, accepted into the pro, if you like, list of sure. users, and then that will give you yeah. much more so, freedom. Okay, so it's coming. It's it's, it it's, it's, sure, main, sure. it's becoming yeah, more yeah. mainstream. Absolutely, that's so interesting. Um, okay, and, and let's uh, talk about the the narrative in your yeah. book. Then technology. You've talked about you know your your Casio and and your Commodore, uh, but it's also uh, in some respects a story about good old fashioned friendship. Absolutely. I mean, the, the book is based on. Well, myself and my friends, John and Michael, when you know, we grew up here in the 80s. So I talk a lot about the Alameda Gardens, the old Bishop Fitzgerald School. In fact, the, the, the discovery they make is supposedly under the old Bishop Fitzgerald School library. Uh, so they find a piece of rock, which looks like a purple glass, and they become obsessed with finding more of those pieces till eventually they build the sphere. And then Alex uh, happens to have an uncle who was a computer genius uh, and used to make video games for the Commodore 64. And I mean, those... the those part of the stories are actually real. I do have an uncle called Morris who was a, a Commodore 64 uh, genius. And, no way. Yeah, yeah, and he taught me how to program and my first game that I made when I was eight years old was with him, you know. So I tried to combine, you know, all that, all those real situations with this fantasy. And John um, and Michael are real friends as yeah, well? Yeah, Johnny Nadis and Michael Vaughn. Uh, no, no both, way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of these stories that I add to the book are actually based on real life. Uh, even the how I tried to build a time machine was based on an experiment that I did when I was 10. I almost burnt down my house doing it, but it, it was real. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, uh, so if uh, if you've piqued somebody's interest in the Commodore Sphere, um, where can they find it? They can find it on Amazon. I've actually got a special deal where it's for, for $1.99. They can buy it for the Kindle or they can buy it for $9.99 for paper version. And also it's going to be sold at the uh, uh, here in Gibraltar um, at the uh, which bookshop are we talking about? The, he the, the Heritage, Heritage Bookshop. Heritage Trust, sorry, yeah. Heritage Trust. Uh, I went blank as well. Yeah, I was, going, I was going blank. <laughs> the uh, so Trust, at the John yeah. McIntosh Square. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and you, uh, and we we look forward to talking to you when your next book is out and next year and see. <laughs> excellent and best of luck writing it. Thank you very much, Jonathan. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We're going to speak now to somebody who's been at the International Working Dog Conference in Colorado. Good afternoon to Dr. Zoe Pa Cortez. How are you? Hi. Um, hi, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Great, thanks. Um, very interesting research that you're carrying out. Um, we, we know that dogs have been used uh, to, to sort of, uh, you know, by, by uh, police to sniff for, for drugs, at, uh, by customs at airports, uh, but they're uh, now going to, or they are starting to be used for medicinal purposes, and your research partly focuses on that. Yeah, um, so I am um, fortunate enough to have a collaborator um, for my PhD, uh, Medical Detection Dogs. Uh, they're a UK charity that are based here, and um, they train dogs to detect the odour of, of human disease. So that includes things like cancer, Parkinson's disease, um, but also they work one-on-one -on -one with uh, people with complicated medical conditions. Um, so, for example, um, type 1 diabetes, if, if people have... Uh, difficulty controlling their diabetes, they can have a dog trained to help them uh, pick up when their glucose drops or, or increases too high. 
That's amazing. Are we talking about uh, dogs generally? I mean, I assume they need particular training, but but are, are particular breeds better than others? Yeah, so, um, I mean, the, the ability to detect these smells, you would expect is, is there for all dogs, but um, it, you have to join that up with their ability to be trained to um, tell you that they've smelled it. So usually uh, with the assistance dogs, you have the typical breeds like Labradors, um, sometimes we get some spaniels as well, um, and then pointers and sort of breeds that are sort of combine that um, ability to smell, but also the ability to be trained to um, assist us. That's amazing. Uh, and and your research has taken you to Colorado for the uh, World, sorry, International Working Dog Conference, uh, where I suppose you, you, you talk about your research and you hear about other people who are working in the same field. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, it was great. So, um, yeah, the International Working Dog um, Association um, is, is focused on improving the welfare and, and breeding and training of working dogs. That includes military dogs, um, um, police, uh, Air Force, um, also service dogs. So there was quite a variety of, of speakers there and, and it was great to meet some of the people, you know, top of their, their field who are advising on these things from around the world. Um, it was really, really interesting and a great opportunity to um, talk to them about the research that I've been doing as well. So, so you're doing research now. You you trained and qualified as a vet, and I think you practiced for a short period as a vet. Uh, and now you're, mm-hmm. you're you're doing research at the University of Bristol. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I worked for a couple of years after qualifying as a vet, and then um, research has always been those unanswered questions have always been ones that I've wanted to pursue. So um, yeah, I, I decided to to do a PhD, and um, yeah, part of it focuses on the working dogs, the detection dogs. Um, and the other part of it is looking at dog's ability to um, smell things like stress in people as well. So looking more also at the companion dogs as well as the working dogs. And and what, what talk me through what uses that would have if if dogs can successfully smell stress? What are the applications? Yeah, so I mean, the, this project was more looking at whether they can and and also what the you know the emotional impact that might have on on our own pet. So um, you might expect that if an animal can smell stress in, in a person that that might make them also feel stressed. So it partly is to do with the welfare of dogs and whether this is something that, um, you know, we need to be aware of. Um, Application-wise, I mean, in theory, you potentially could train the dog to detect stress in a person. Um, and, you know, there's, there's talks of looking at whether someone sm- smells stress, for example, in an airport whether that could be something you want to investigate. But I think really what we're more interested in is, is is this something that a dog is able to do? And if it is, is this something that we need to be aware of for our own our own pets and, and, and um, managing that? That's amazing. Yeah, of course, because in the same way as, uh, you know, a loved one feeling stress could have an impact on family members, uh, what, mm-hmm. what this research might suggest then is that you need to keep in mind that it, it'll also have an impact on your on your dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And we all have highs and lows in life, and um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and it's good to bear it in mind, I suppose. I mean, they are amazing creatures, aren't they? What, what is it like to sort of spend so much time studying them? Because we all have, a, I think, a soft spot for them, even those of us, myself included, who, who don't have a dog as a pet, but, but they, they're just, you know, they're, they're such impressive creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
to be honest, the, the most impressive thing for me was when I was doing my um, study. So I had to train some of these dogs to do a, a task um, and then look at what the effect of smell had on them. Um, and just watching how they learn, uh, learn how, you know, the position of, of different cues um, and, you know, the, the differences between individuals and how some would learn quicker than others and, you know, the behaviors that they would show, um, you know, when when something would change um, and it was just really fascinating to watch their their responses to to the training <laughs> so so you get to actually work part of the one of the perks of the job i suppose is that you you must get to spend a significant amount of time with dogs yeah i mean that that was part of it most of the time i am um crunching numbers at a computer nowadays <laughs> but um a lot of the data collection and, and video collection that i did was yeah watching um, the, the, the pet dogs with, with my training study, but also um, I spent a few months at medical detection dogs um, observing the dogs being trained there to detect cancer and etc. So that was also really interesting to see. Yeah, very cool. And, and as you say, the more sort of fun side, um, a more yeah, social definitely. side of the of the work. No, but I suppose you, you need to crunch those numbers and you need to find the patterns and then you, you need to see yeah. where the data takes you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, um, and it's great to, at the end of it all, be able to present that, you know, internationally and, and show all the work that I've been uh, working on over the last couple of, you know, three or four years now. Yeah. And uh, what's that been like? Because um, obviously there, there was a COVID-19 pandemic um, shortly after you started your research, which must have um, limited what you were able to do. Yeah, absolutely. So it was about six months into my uh, studies and you know, COVID hit, we had a lockdown um, that pretty much put a stop to um, medical detection dogs and their training for a while. So I was quite limited in, in what I could do. Um, fortunately, had some other data that um, I was able to write up into a paper looking at odor changes with um, type 1 diabetes. Um, so I was able to write that up. But it also meant that when I did go back to medical detection dogs, I, I got to um, help them and, and see the COVID detection dogs at work as well, which was also really, really interesting. So that kind of was an added bonus that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had a pandemic. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Amazing creatures. Um, fi- OK, so finally, um, tell us a little bit about what's next for you. I mean, you, you, you need to finish your PhD research and then do you think that you'll stay in academia? Uh, yeah, so I'm now in the sort of writing up part of the of the um, PhD. So it's kind of the last push to get everything I've I've done over the last few years written up. Um, I, I'm undecided to be honest if I want to carry on. I think um, I if I were to carry on in research and academia, I want to carry on with the dog dog detecting um, stress in humans. I think that's a really really interesting area of research that's um, not very well researched at the moment. So that's kind of my um, preference you might be able to. to carve out your niche then uh, yeah yeah and I think it is there's a lot of stuff that I've not been able to do um, in the time that I've been working on this so it'd be great to, to carry that on if I get if I get a chance to yeah Gibraltar today with Jonathan Scott a new TV series which showcases Gibraltar's writers and poets it premieres on uh, GBC television this evening between the lines it's called and it'll delve into the work and influences of 11 creatives some are well known and uh, some are newcomers but uh, in tonight's first episode we'll hear from among others Giordano Durante who's worked alongside Alex Menes on this one people's breakfast lives spied through level windows the woman in her nightie worrying at something in the sink her husband running his hands through messy hair, 
unaware that the blur of the unseen runner looks in, one who both longs for cozy domesticity and knows it breeds all dullness. Once I saw an unmade bed, and next to it, a naked man on his knees crying. I come down St. Joseph's Road, penetrating wafts of toast and sweet coffee, surprise someone walking a dog, then speed through the dark stretch of lavateria. Giordano Durante, uh, who's featured on tonight's first episode of Between the Lines. Another familiar and very distinctive voice is Jonathan Teuma. Así que no te extrañes pues al ver a este quillo inglés gritándole al mundo que es un brindalú, un británico andalú, y que no, no es satánico, este arte gaditánico que os quiero presentar. Lope y Shakespeare hacen los rounds, compartiendo en mi cabeza el mismo espacio, y sin problema de visado, ni papeles, ni bandera, ni de nada. Ahí se sientan con la Chud, Angie Cata, Lola Flores, Federico y los demás a alegarme a mí dos lenguas, mil historias y una harta de historias más, para más poder amar y con el mundo dialogar. Porque soy un bollo de serrano, empapado en un capuchín, me gustan los chips con boquerones, el English breakfast por raciones, and my people to be free. Jonathan Teuma. Uh, also joining him, another poet who will feature on GBC's new TV series Between the Lines is Trino Cruz. Our words have been flowing back and forth across the straits for many thousands of years and cannot be contained in any tidy narrative. Our unstoppable movement will always challenge boundaries. We cannot be contained in a tight space. A time arises when we are forced to move elsewhere. Over time, the shores move closer, then certain forces again pull them apart. The Straits region has only rarely and for a time been a single dynamic space. During the Roman Empire and Al-Andalus perhaps, but Al-Andalus was no paradise. Endless power struggles and tensions between the various communities could not provide for anything else. Coexistence is never painless. We know that the all-encompassing Infinite text is out there, never to be written. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.